I ask you to open your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of John chapter 17. Gospel of John chapter 17, we will conclude this chapter and this study uh, that we began November the 5th of last year. I didn't realize it had been that long. That is approximately some 50 sermons that we've uh, taken from John 13 through 17. But this morning we will uh, come to the, the conclusion of it. And uh, I, I hope to be able to relay, uh, at least in some small portion, what the Lord's laid on my heart from this. Uh, our thoughts for our time together this morning, the problem and the solution. The problem and the solution. Would you agree with me today that as a whole, when you look at the world that we live in, would you agree with me that there is a problem? And, and I realize that understanding that there is a problem, uh, you've got all manner of ideas on what to do to fix the problem. There's a lot of quote-unquote geniuses that have studied and have degrees after degree after degree after degree, and they'll tell you, well, what we need is this and what we need is that. There's been books and volumes that have been written. There's been debates. There's been... Uh, several, you know, just long TV shows that, that, you know, discuss the problem. But in our text today, Jesus tells us what the problem with the world is, and he does so in seven words. Isn't that pretty amazing? In seven short words, Jesus brings it all down to the problem with the world. And I'm so glad that he doesn't just say, here's the problem and y'all figure it out or here's the problem and, and uh, hopefully you'll be able to work it all out. But he says, here's the problem and here is the solution. So our thoughts for our time this morning, the problem and the solution. John chapter 17, beginning in verse 25, Jesus says, O righteous Father. I don't know how you cannot read that and hear the passion I mean, throughout this, he's been father, and I pray for this father, and father, not only I do I pray for this, and each and every time he's used that, that terminology, father, he's introducing kind of a new area that he's going into in this prayer, and he comes to the very end. He's made all of his pleas. He's not asking for any more pleas. We discussed the last plea last week, but now in closing his prayer, he says, Oh, righteous father. The world does not know you. There's the problem. The world does not know you, but I have known you, and these, that, and these have known that thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto, you, uh, unto them thy name, and will declare it. Love wherewith thou hast loved me, may be in them, and I in them. Remind you that the very next verse, just a few moments later, Jesus had spoken these words, and he went with his disciples over the brook Kedron, over to the garden, where Judas and the mobs were already on their way. Father, we come to you this morning. 
Help us that we would not be so arrogant and prideful that we would not realize that there is a problem. Father, not just on a national scene, on a worldwide scene, but how many times do we sit in your services and there's a problem in our relationship with you and yet we just let the day go without making it right. Father, help us this morning that we might allow you to break our hearts and soften them. May we look around and see the need and the problem. And God, I ask for the strength and the grace. Father, that Faith Missionary Baptist Church might be a solution to the problem here in Arkadelphia. Lord, get honor and glory as Jesus began this prayer by asking that you would get glory. So we ask now, get glory. And glory was going to be given to you as your son obeyed your will. And so it will be today. You will only get glory if we surrender and obey you today. And we ask that you would help us to do that. And we pray these things in your precious name. Amen. The problem becomes pretty obvious, really, when you look around. And I know it probably sounds like I'm just a you know, constant complainer and griper about the situations of life, but you can call it that, you can call it pessimism, or you can just see it as realism, and, and that our world has a problem. We were talking this week, some of us were, about uh, this being rivalry week in, in football, and, and, and we were talking about coaches and and uh somebody had said something about you know if auburn doesn't win and there'd already been some grumblings about you know would they fire mouths on and 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 somebody said something about well i, I don't think they would because it would cost 32 million dollars and somebody else said well i'll tell you what if auburn was truly ready to get rid of them the alumni would make that 32 million dollars appear that quick and i just stood there for a minute and i thought you know there is a problem in the world when we pay a coach eight million dollars to coach a sport or we'll buy out his contract for 32 million dollars these are just small examples i think we have to be careful that we identify what the problem truly is every now and then I, I hear people and they'll talk about our, our need to improve technology I don't I don't really understand all there is to know about that I know I'm standing here with a device that allows me to put something on here and you can see it up there and and I don't even know all the things that I can do with this People tell me all the time, well, Brother Jeff, don't you know you could do this or that and the other? No, I don't even want to start. <laughs> but I want you to think about it for a minute. I have went and visited some of our older members from here. And they would talk about moving from Arkadelphia to Oregon. And it said it took them three days to get from here to Texarkana. I can't fathom that, y'all. To talk about an airplane, they would have just been blown away. What do you mean an airplane? If God wanted us to fly, he'd have put wings on our back. 
We've sent people to the moon. We have more power in our cell phones than what used to be in closet full of computers. And I'm thankful for technology. It's not all bad. It has a lot of bad uses, but it's not all bad. My daughter will leave in a few hours going back to Mobile, Alabama, and as a father, I find comfort in the fact that along the way she can call me or whatever and let me know that she's doing okay. In the old days, it would have been goodbye and a lot of nervousness for the next seven and a half hours as she drove and got to the landline back at her place where she could call and say, I'm okay, Dad. So I'm not against technology, but I would submit this to you this morning. Technology has not fixed the problem in our world. So, well, if we could just find a cure to this, or if we just had this or that and the other, and, and we have gone leaps and bounds above, uh, beyond. I remember, and I, and I realize when I say this, there'll be a bunch of y'all say, well, Preacher, I can remember when we didn't even have a TV in the house. But I remember when we had a TV in the house and everybody else that had a TV and you had to worry about the tubes inside of them going out. And the only reception you got is because you had two pieces of metal stuck up in there and you had to move them around to get a good reception. And on a good day, we had access to four channels. And the kids today can't imagine not having access to 200 plus. We've made leaps and bounds in technology. And what we're finding out is often that the advances in technology not only are not fixing the problem, but they've created more problems for us, have they not? So it's not that we have a lack of technology. I'm not trying to get on any of the political issues, but I, I heard a few years ago about, oh, how we just, if we could just figure out a way to make affordable health care. And there is no doubt there are a lot of people that has health care now that didn't have it before. I'm not saying it's all bad. I'm not saying it's bad or good either way, but my point is, is, the statements were being made, this is the thing that we need to do to fix America. And it hadn't worked, has it? Not as far as solving the problem. It's not a lack of technology. It's not a lack of health care. My wife came in the other day at our last election, and, and again, I'm not trying to get on political things, but she came in, she was so excited about minimum wage going up because that meant she was going to get a raise. And I said, dear, do you have any clue What's going to happen because of the minimum wage going up so much? Well, no. I, think, I said, do you think that Walmart's going to still, still sell that gallon of milk for $2.99 when, when minimum wage skyrockets that high that quick? Do you understand that everything, listen, the Happy Meal at McDonald's is going to go up. <laughs> the, everything, the, everything that we do is going to go up. And I said, when the day is done, and again, I know, it, you know there are some countries, and in our past, I can hear my daddy saying, well, I remember working for 50 cents a day and things of that nature. And I know that there's a lot of people that are being abused and a lot of people being underpaid. But I learned something, and I, I say I learned it. I don't know that I fully learned it yet. I'm still working on it. Money doesn't fix all the problems in the world, does it? 
It just doesn't fix all the problems. The problem is not a lack of technology. It's not a lack of health care. It's not a lack of wages. It's not a lack of food. People say, well, we have, we have starving people here. I, I remember as a kid growing up and, and you know, moving the, the Brussels sprouts all over the plate and never putting one in my mouth trying to convince my mom that I was eating them, you know. And, and the food that we'd scrape off and she'd say, well, there's just starving people in India or there's starving people in Africa or there's starving people here and there and yonder. And now it's become much more aware here in the States that there's starving people. But I, I would submit to you if, if there was food to feed everybody, it still doesn't solve the problem that plagues our world. Is it a lack of information? Do we not know who God is? Do we not know that there is only one God? Do we not know that, 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 you know, do we lack the information that he sent his son, that he loved us so much? Is it that we don't know? And if you're not careful, when you read verse 25, you might walk away with Jesus said they didn't know him. But it wasn't because of lack of information. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. The problem? It is a lack of experiential knowledge. The word that Jesus used in chapter 17, verse 25, O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee. There's a couple of different words in the Greek language for know. There is oida, which is to perceive something, and then there is gnosko, which is to know it by experience. And the best illustration I know can give you to this would be if you've fixed a, pot, a, a cup of hot coffee or, or, or you fixed something hot. This morning I was fixing breakfast for everybody at the house, and I made up a pan of, of malto meal, and I thought, well, let me see if that's sweet enough. And so I picked up a, a spoon and got some of it, and I blew it a couple times, put it in my mouth, and I realized, oh, real quick, I didn't blow it near enough. Now, you can see the steam rising off of it, and you say, well, you know, I, that, uh, I, I perceive that's hot. But it's a whole other world when you get it in your mouth, and then you swallow it, and you're burning all the way, your tongue or your mouth, and your tongue and roof of mouth burning, your throat's burning, and now your stomach's burning, and you're trying to find something cold to get it down, you know. Now I know it by experience. What Jesus is saying, oh, righteous Father, this world has a problem. This world has not entered into a knowledge based on experience with you. It's not that there's a lack of information. All the other things that we have done down through the years, we have we fought wars to, to bring about betterment of life, and, and we freed here, and we've defended here, and, and, and we've grown in our technology, we've grown in our, 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 our physical stuff that we have. And Jesus said, the world, righteous father, they don't know you as a righteous father. That's the problem. As I mentioned, it's not because that they don't know. Romans chapter 1 says, they knew God. I, again, I, I understand there are those that argue with me, but there is no such thing as a sure enough 
atheist. Now, they may claim to be an atheist, but the Bible says that all men that have the ability to reason in their mind, they know God. They know that He deserves all honor and glory. They know that they ought to recognize Him as God, but they reject Him as God. And instead of accepting Him as God, they declare any other number of things to be God. The problem with the world is that mankind has rejected what he knows to be true. So I, I, just don't, I just don't think it's that bad, Brother Jeff. It's what the Bible says it is. Romans 1, they know. But they opted for something better. And the reason they opted for it, according to Romans chapter 1, is they're too intelligent to believe in this God. And so they created all these other gods. Jesus quickly identifies the problem. The problem is that Arkadelphia, Arkansas as a whole. Listen, y'all, I understand. We grew up in a time. We grew up in a geographical area where we were the belt buckle on the Bible belt of America, weren't we? And we sat in our houses and we assumed, and I'm, when I say houses, I mean houses of worship, and we assumed that everybody knew and everybody would come and, and all of these things, and we have, we have lost sight of the fact that there is a world here of 10,000 plus people, most of which who do not know the righteous father as the righteous father. And there's the problem. Here's the solution. You're going to love this this morning. I got two points. I know that's unbaptistic. The problem and the solution. I still hear my dad say, Son, you got a problem? Yes, bring it to me, but come to me with some solutions too. Christ said, here's how to fix the problem. In November 5th, or on November 5th, 2017, it was a Sunday morning, and you and I opened the Bible to John chapter 13, and we began to study. We began to study these particular five chapters because we had reached the understanding that Jesus was preparing his disciples for his departure. And what he wanted them to understand was that the problem with the world is they don't know the righteous Father, but I am about to share with you just different truths and different principles and different promises and different things over the next five chapters that is going to enable you to go to a world that does not know the righteous Father and show them the righteous Father. I, was, I, I, I get amazed how God works sometimes. In Sunday school morning, this morning, Brother David Tate said that, 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 that we live in a world that can read all day long the gospel message of Jesus Christ. But what they're looking for is you and I to live the gospel message of Jesus Christ to them. To get out from these walls and to not act like the world and to go and show them a difference. To show them their hope. Show them the love. Show them the commitment, the faithfulness of Jesus Christ to the Father to come and to die for man's sins to fix the problem y'all 
That's the whole point of these five chapters. Let me put it this way and sum it up this way. I'm leaving you, but the work doesn't stop now that I'm gone. In fact, what did he tell them? Not only does the work not stop, but you're going to do more and greater works than when I was here with you. These five chapters have all been to prepare the disciples so that the disciples can go out into the world and be a solution to the problem that the world does not know the righteous father as the righteous father. And again, when I say no, that means that they have not entered into that relationship. So in chapter 13, verses 1 through 20, we're just going to do a review this morning. So I'll be glad when we get through it. I understand that sentiment of we've been here for so long now. But look at it from the sentiment of Jesus saying, Guys, I'm going away, but the work cannot, must not stop. It's got to continue. And when we get through this morning, I, I hope that the thought will cross your mind how, how daunting this task would have been had we not had John chapter 13 through John chapter 17 and the teachings of it. In verses 1 through 20, as the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords put on himself the servant's apron, and performed the job of the lowest slave known to mankind. As the disciples were gathered around in the upper room and Jesus knew that he was less than seven days away from all that we talked about last week in the death and the, the, the horrible experience of it all, the father turning his back, Less than seven days from all that becoming a reality, the king of all kings and the lord of all lords took off his jacket, if you will, and he set it aside and he picked up the apron of a slave and he walked to the first disciple and he took their feet in his hands and began to wash their feet. Do you understand that this is the one that said, let there be, and there was? Do you understand that this is the one who is the, is the one that, that is just glorified throughout all heaven? And that's the one thing he prayed. God, I want them to come home because I want them to see the glory that I had. And yet, here he is, washing their feet. And he's teaching you and I, if we are going to carry on this work, we must have a humble heart. The, 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 the biggest complaint I've heard against preachers especially, that's the most arrogant, arrogant guy I ever met in my life. We can't come across to this world as arrogant and looking down on everybody else because we're so pharisaical in our self-righteousness and expect to be able to carry on the work when our master's gone. We must be humble. And I don't know what else I could say or do that would cause us to be humble than to realize what the Bible says. 
but for the grace of God, there go I. (laughs) If there is anything good, if there's anything to be puffed up about, it's what the grace of God has done in my life. Jesus said, listen, guys, if you are going to carry on my work, if you're going to be a solution to the problem that the world doesn't know my righteous Father, you must be humble and you must have a servant's heart. If you read any of the books about the death of churches, and there's a lot of them out there, and I'm not saying I agree with everything that's out there, but usually within the top two or three, of these books that talk about the death of churches is the idea that they became self-centered and turned inward. Jesus said, if we're going to carry on this work, we have got to have a servant's heart. I'm so excited for you to get the newsletter this, in the next few days. And I'll try not to, get to, to do a spoiler on it, but... You know, the one thing I notice about Jesus, when you really look at his ministry, he would touch a leper. (laughs) Can you imagine? He touched a leper. I asked Brother Randy this morning about how he was feeling, and we were talking about uh, the contagiousness. He's not contagious, okay? But we were talking about that, and anybody that lived in Christ's time knew that leprosy was contagious, highly contagious, and it was often terminal. And Jesus touched them. Jesus made mud and put it on people's eyes. Jesus got involved with people to serve them. Please do not misunderstand this statement. But somewhere the churches in 2000 are going to have to figure out how to serve their communities and not just serve themselves. It's not about just making sure we have enough money to pay the bills and keep the lights on and the heat going and 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 pizza for the kids and things of that nature. It's about being a servant in the community. Isn't it interesting that Jesus starts here? The problem with the world is they don't know the Father. And I would tell you that the Bible is there. The Bible is true. The Bible is is printed and it's left here and it's left there and there's tracts and all of this. But People read this book, but when they look at Christians' lives and they don't see us humble, they don't see us as a servant, and they don't see us as the rest of these things that we'll talk about, the gospel doesn't come alive to them. The solution is we must have a humble servant's heart in verses 1 through 20 of 13. 21 through 30, always be on guard. Jesus began to tell about a betrayer, and they said, well, Lord, it ain't me. The, the way the Greek is worded there, it's like, Well, you know it ain't me, Lord. It can't be me. And I can hear myself and other church members from time to time. You know who the preacher's preaching about, don't you? (laughs) He's talking about that person or that person or that person. I used to do that when I sat in pew. Yep, I know who the preacher's on this morning. And never a thought that it could be me. 
Maybe we've lost our influence in the world. Maybe we're not very effective in the business of the master because we've let down our guard and Satan's having a heyday in too many of our lives. The solution in verses 31 through 35, love one another. I'm amazed at how many times the Bible talks about the importance of loving one another. I hope you'll understand the, in, the, the sentiment which this is spoken. I was speaking to a former member here a while back. And I told him, I said, you know, faith has not grown numerically like I, 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 I want them to. And that's probably as much my fault as anything. But I will tell you this. I believe with every ounce of my body which is getting to be more and more ounces than I want it to be but I believe with every fiber of my being that this church has grown light years in their love one for another and I'm okay with that because Jesus said it is by your love one for another that the world will know that you're my disciples we'll get to the part that we need to get to when we love one another the solution Jesus taught in chapter 13, verses 36 through 38, and again he comes back to the idea of being on guard. By the way, just if you get a chance as we go through these, and I'll pick up some speed, I promise, but as we go through these, jot down and remember how many times something appears multiple times. I mean, this is twice now in just a few verses. 21 through 30, talked about there's a betrayer. Well, Lord, it's not me, is it? I know it ain't me. And then we come to verse 36 and 38, and again, he tells Peter what's going to happen. And Peter says, Lord, I, <laughs> you, you've got me confused with brother so-and-so. Because, Lord, if you know anything about me, you know that I will go to prison for you. Lord, you know my heart. You know I'll die for you. Surely you're talking about somebody else. And again, Jesus warns us, if you're going to do my business and show my righteous father listen to me it's this simple we can't show our righteous father if we're living an unrighteous life does that is that not make sense and apparently jesus knew that and knew that to be a problem because he mentioned it twice in the opening chapter of the solution to the problem the world does not know the father the solution come on there it goes Chapter 14, verses 1 through 7 is a great promise. Guys, I'm going. And I know your heart is filled with fear. Your heart is filled with doubt. I know that you're sorrowful. But guys, I'm going simply to prepare your place. And it makes no sense for me to go prepare a place for you if I'm not going to come back and get you to take you to where I am. So, guys, here's the plan. I'm going to prepare a place. For you and everybody else who will believe. You stay here and you show the world the righteous father. You stay here and you serve the world. And you live among the world. And you, you, you be a convicting power of God among the world. I'll be preparing a place for you and for everybody else that will believe. And I'll come and I'll get you all and take you home then. A promise. 
I don't know about you, but without that promise, it gets real difficult to live that Christian life here and to live in this world if we don't have that concrete knowledge that there is something better beyond this world. And not only is there something better, but we got an all-expense-paid way there. The solution... Chapter 14, verses 1 through 7 is a great promise. In chapter 14, verses 8 through 14, he lists several things. He says, believe. Guys, you got to keep believing. I don't know why it is that we're saved by faith and we think, okay, well, now I'm through with faith. Move on to something else. No, no, no. We, the, the Bible says the just will what? Live by faith continually every day. Jesus said, guys, you've got to believe. He said, if you'll believe, you'll do greater works than I did. And here's the first one. I'm going to tell you this one. Here's the first one. I want you to note how many times this one reappears. And by the way, guys, the world doesn't know the righteous father as the righteous father. You've got to go out there and you've got to show them. And here's the biggest key to it all. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do. That's why I think there is tremendous value and power at, this, at our disposal when we get together as a family just right here in this altar and just pray and ask God. Ask Him. I, I, I was thinking that I wonder how many things that my, father would, my earthly father would have been glad to do if I had just asked Him. First time this appears, and it'll, it'll appear several more. The solution to the problem is, is asking in his name and letting him do. Why are you slowing down? In chapter 14, verses 15 through 31, he says, I will send a comforter. I'm going to send someone that's going to encourage you. I'm going to send someone that's going to help you along the way. You know, there's only one way that a guide is any good, isn't it? If you're lost in a jungle and you've got the most experienced guide, he knows that jungle, he knows every vine as well as he does the back of his hand, what good is it if you don't follow him? Jesus said, guys, I, I'm going away. I'm entrusting you with the work. It must go on. And I've already talked about a lot of things. But I'm going to send somebody that's going to fill my shoes in your life. Follow him. Obey. You've got to keep my commandments. He teaches that in those verses. And then I love the latter part. He says, here's my peace. Because guys, along the way, the road of life's going to get tough. Along the way, you're going to invest in being a servant to somebody and they are going to stab you in the back. Know that when you go out into this world and you try to make a difference in somebody else's life, that you're not always going to be loved for it. Somebody's going to hate you. Somebody's going to accuse you. As we were reading this morning in the book of 1 Philippians, that, that, that Paul said, you know, there's a lot of people that are preaching. Some are preaching for good reasons and true reasons and right reasons. Others are not preaching for those reasons. 
And those that ain't preaching for the right reason, they're making it more difficult on me, but they're preaching Christ. And I'm not worried about how it affects me if Christ be proclaimed. So guys, along the way, here's my peace. Use it. Live in it. Chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Abide in me. Every day, living in Him. And I don't mean to be offensive, but let me just tell you, if you pick this up this morning for the first time since last Sunday morning, you're not abiding in Him. You can't be. There's no way to abide in Him and not abide in His book. Abide in me. Abide in my love. And there it is again. Whatever you ask, guys, if you ask in my name, I will do it. Bear fruit. Bear much fruit. Fruit-bearing Christians. Again, the idea of obey my commandments and be full of joy. When we got to that part in chapter 15, we talked about one of the things that's missing more than anything else out of our worship services is just plain, simple, good old-fashioned happiness, joy. We're afraid to be joyful because we're afraid somebody will label us or it might carry over or spill out into something else. Jesus said, if you're going to do my work, guys, you gotta, you got to enjoy it. You ever had a job that you didn't enjoy doing? How good were you at it compared to a job that you thoroughly loved doing? There's a difference in the performance. Jesus said, if you're going to carry on my work, you've got to be joyful. Verses 12 through 17, love one another reappears. Not the first time that's been said. Bear fruit. That appears yet again. And then, lo and behold, there it is again. What you ask in my name, I will do. That's about the third or fourth time already, isn't it? And yet, and yet, we struggle. We're still getting together and asking. Asking. God, send us some prospects. I hear people talk about, well, we need some young families, we need some youth. Have we gathered together as a family and just prayed and asked God specifically? God, <laughs> could, could you, would you? And if we pray in his name, what did he say he would do? How many times already now? I'll do it. I'll do it. If we're going to carry on the work and be the solution to the problem, in 15, 18 through 16, 4, Jesus says, the world will hate you. So well, that, how's that going to help us? And I was thinking while I, when I read this, I, I don't know about Tyler, I don't know about Joe, I don't know about some of the rest of you guys that played ball, but the idea of wearing the pads and the helmet and that Friday night and charge out on the field and the band's playing, boo, 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 you know, and all the, and the people are chanting and yelling and screaming and the cheerleaders are rawing and, and all this and that and the other. And man, I, I want to go be a part of that. 
And I got a real shock when I realized that all through the summer we had to run like dogs and lift weights. And wait a minute, I didn't know about this part. <laughs> and through the process, you know what? We started with X amount and we wound up with this amount because a lot of guys said, you know, I don't want all that part of it. Jesus is telling us up front, guys, you need to be busy doing the work. You need to be a solution to the problem. And you need to understand persecution's going to come every now and then. It's coming. Don't be surprised. And if we don't know that, we'll not be a part of the solution. Well, but when it does come, what are we going to do? Jesus said, well, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's going to have a couple of different functions. He's going to work in the world to bring about conviction. And he's going to guide you. All these are in these verses. I'll give you these lists if you want to go back and look at them. These are things we've been studying for over a year now. All stuff that we must remember and practice if we're going to be a solution to the problem. Almost done. Hang in with me. Verses 16 through 24. I love this. I, I, don't, I don't even know that I caught it when we went through it the first time. Jesus says in chapter 16, verses 5 through 15, the world's going to hate you. But then he turns around, verse 16 through 24, and says, guess what? Your sorrow is going to be turned to joy. I can endure sorrow. I can endure the bad days when something good comes out of it. Heather shared her testimony this morning. Others how God has brought great things out of sorrow and brought joy out of sorrow. You think about Joseph. You think about others in the Bible. It makes it easier. It makes it easier for us to be faithful when we know, yeah, sorrow's coming, but it will be turned to joy one of these days. And there it is again, isn't it? Whatever you ask in my name, I will do. Does it... Does it does it bother us? Does it break our heart that that many times already Jesus has said, here's a key, here's a key, here's a key, here's a key, here's a key. Holding the key and dangling it right there. Here's a key. Oh, that's all right, God, we got this. Verses 25 through 33. The world's going to hate you, but don't worry about it. I've overcome the world. I've already beaten it. And here is my peace. The solution in chapter 17, verses 1 through 6, is glorification in death and in glorification in giving life. To, to, to change the, the mindset and the, the temperament of the world that does not know the Father, we must be so interested in the Father's glorification that if it means the taking of our life, then so be it. Because the Father getting glory is more important than me spending the rest of my time in this earth, even with my grandkids, because hopefully their mom and dad and their nanny and poppy and mama and papa and others are going to live a life that's going to show them Jesus Christ. And if I get, quote unquote, cheated out of 10, 15 years of enjoying them in this life, if the Father gets glory, it's all okay because you know what? I'll have all eternity. I'll have all eternity. Glorification and giving life. Jesus said the Father gets glorified when I give eternal life. 
Verses 7 through 19, chapter 17, Jesus says, keep them. In other words, protect them, secure them. Doesn't it, doesn't it embolden us in this business that he's leaving with us when we know that he's asked God the Father, would you secure and protect them? Sanctify them. Fill them with joy. And then finally, I have sent them. These are all principles that he has taught us so that we might remember them and commit them to our lives so that we can change the mindset of the world that does not know our righteous Father. The solution in the final verses of chapter 17, verses 20 through 24, is that they be unified. It is only by us being unified that the world will know that the Father sent the Son, that the Father loves us as He loved the Son. I wonder, I wonder how many blessings churches miss out on just simply because they'd rather fight than be unified in the truth and the blood and the love of Jesus Christ. And fight sometimes over the, pardon me, but the stupidest stuff. And then he says, part of the solution is, guys, you got to know and hold on. There's going to be a uniting. I want my people to be with me, Father. That was the last plea he made of his father. God, hasten the day when I can gather them home. The solution. Last slide and last thoughts. The world does not know our righteous father. Chapter 13, verse 1 through chapter 17, verse 26. Five chapters. A year's worth of sermons. That you and I might be a part of the solution in changing the mindset of the world. Is it safe to say, is it fair to say that God has already done his part? Will we do ours? Is it worth changing a lifestyle? Is it worth not indulging in sin? Is it worth being a servant, being humble? Is it worth loving one another? Is it worth being hated by the world? Is it worth turning the other cheek when they slap us on the one cheek? Is it worth all of these things to be a part of the solution that is the single problem of this world that technology, that money, that food, that health care, that freedom, that uh, armies, that, that kings and queens and monarchs and, and, and rules and lawyers and laws and, and that all of this stuff has not been able to fix the simple seven-word problem. Oh, righteous Father, the world does does not know you. Will we do our part? Father, we come to you this morning. It's been a long study. I pray that it's been one that's been honoring to you and glorifying to you. 
one that has challenged us, one that has pricked our hearts, one that may have convicted us, but one, Father, that has shown us how simple it is to fix our shortcomings. God, I pray for the one out there today that their life is broken pieces. God, may they bring them to you today. I pray for the one today that does not know you truly, know you as personal Savior, that they would realize they're not waiting to be condemned, they're already condemned, but that you sent your Son so they wouldn't have to be and they would come to know you. But Father, I pray for my dear friends, those that I love here at Faith. God, that we might bind together one unified, loving, serving, praying body that's making a difference in the lives of people in Arkadelphia that do not know you as the righteous Father. Help us, Father, that we might live out the gospel. And we ask these things in your precious name. Amen.